Why don't we start with you this week? Well, yeah, like uh, most of you, um, we just bought a house. And yeah, now I'm turning into my dad. I text him full sentences. I refer to every child as chief. This hat was free. What am I supposed to do, not wear it? Next thing you know, I'm telling strangers defense wins championships. Well, it does. Right? Why is the door open? Are we trying to air condition the whole neighborhood? Heck, now I'm the guy who gets up at five just to tell people I'm up at five. I woke up at four. Let's not one-up. No one wins with a one-up. Okay? And I know what a meanie is now. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are funny. Some, you know? Some, some, are, some of them are, oh. But other ones are funny. Oh. Yeah. I think it's a meme. No, I think it's Mimi, because it's two me's. Spelt me, me. No yeah. reason we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does, right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home. I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but we're making it work. Thanks for joining us this morning as we continue on with our one standalone sermon turned into three. So we're kind of a little too ambitious with that. So this is going to be part two, and then next week we'll wrap up our Simply uh, Christian uh, series, one sermon into three, as we just said. But uh, uh, later on, I'll be giving a special shout-out to my brother because he tunes in, he and his family, from Colorado. And that's going to give me a little more pressure because now I need to actually be honest with my stories. So just kidding, because <laughs> he will call me on it. So anyway, uh, the, the little commercial there from Progressive is reminding us that we're always turning into somebody. We're not stagnant. We're growing one way or the other. And uh, some of us you know, have to be aware that we might be turning into our parents uh, maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, uh, maybe we're turning into our friends, but we are always in sense in fluid that uh, we're moving one way or the other. In the business world, when it comes to identity and who you're becoming and what you are, uh, we have this idea of branding, and uh, we talk about the idea that uh, there's branding, and uh, again, some of you uh, see that and you think of certain messages because of the branding of those items, and again, that sometimes is in flux. Um, even this group is in flux. Uh, they're now winners, and so um, we'll just see how that branding goes. But again, uh, you know, everything's been flux. I mean, years ago, it was these two guys looking like this. Now, now I'm going to cry. Uh, today, it's going to be like this. Uh, so, you know, everybody's flux. Everybody's growing. Everybody's changing. And the question is, is what is happening in our life, and what are we changing into? And those of us who have said yes to Christ, who claim to be Christ followers, need to be asking the question, what is a Christian? And if you're just thinking about saying yes to Christ, you're trying to figure out if faith even has any relevance to your life, uh, this is a great question to you, for you to hear answered, and we're trying to answer this over these uh, three weeks. Uh, Paul talks about being a Christ follower and talks about our identity when he says this. He says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. And the idea is that we look at who Christ is, how he lived his life as the son of God, and we can pick up cues about how we're to treat other people, what we're to value, what's important, and all those kinds of things. And those first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, the Good News, they give pictures of 
Jesus from the perspective of the person observing. Sometimes people will say, well, they don't all match up. Well, that's because it's the person observing. Same scenario. Uh, it's like when you tell a story and your friend tells a story, it's a little different. It's not that you weren't there. It's not that you're trying to mislead everybody. It's Different things strike importance with you than somebody else. The same way like when my brother calls me on a story, uh, I may remember it a certain way. I may say, Jeff, no, I remember it this way, and he remembers it a different way, and we might be accurate, or maybe one of us is fudging a little bit. I don't know. But when it comes to those first four books, that's what's going on. Also, you have to realize that uh, in uh, culture of that day, sometimes you would tell a story by the importance. So you would actually legitimately get things out of order from a chronological order because you're trying to show things of importance. And some of that occasionally is going on. So again, but the idea here is that we find out what we're living for and who we are through Christ, through his example, through him being a part of our life. Uh, we read Jesus' own words. He says, live out your, gener- ge- your God-created identity. Live generously and gracious towards others the way God lives towards you. So this idea of who we are as Christ followers, uh, what our identity is, what kind of message we're presenting with the way we live, the things we say, is very important. And when you and I as Christ followers, in a sense, get it out of order a little bit, when we don't... um, live out who we are, it creates a tension in us. Because as a Christ follower, uh, we know that God joins our lives through the Holy Spirit. He's a part of our life. He indwells us. And when we're kind of doing something out of alignment with that, there's an inside turmoil that creates. And that's why we had this uh, bottom line from last week, preparation without expression causes depression. It, It causes angst in our life. And we get irritated and and sometimes we try to fill that in with something else and that just kind of causes things to spin around and sometimes just spin around going nowhere sometimes it's a downward spiral but this idea that God has prepared us all for something if we're a Christ follower and when we don't express that in the way he's designed us and wires it causes uh, depression because we're not being who he's making us into being so I love uh, what uh, this well-known pastor says I adapted a little bit for our our subject, but you can place your ultimate identity in people. You can place your ultimate identity in a political system or a candidate. You can place your identity in falling head over heels in love. You can place your identity in finding that perfect job or getting a lot of money or finding that perfect place to live or achieving some ultimate goal. But listen... It will leave you utterly, ultimately depressed because only your great God can deliver on your identity. If you're out of strength, if you're weary, if you feel like you can't go on, if you feel like it's all over and things are broken and beyond repair, if you feel like you can't take another risk or take another step, there's a good chance your identity has shifted away from being Christ-centered. Listen. Despair is a symptom of a dislocated identity. When you locate your identity to the Lord, you find strength. You find staying power. You find the inner strength to move forward even when it feels like everything is against us. Again, that idea that when we have preparation without expression, 
it causes depression in our lives, in our heart. Now, last week, we talked about uh, experiencing the power of a Christ-centered identity. You can go back and look at that. But you're going to find that as we start to move into this second part, second and third part, we're going to see that it's so tied to loving, expressing love. And uh, Paul writes, let us have no imitation Christian love. And we get in trouble when we try to have the expression of love without the source of love. And so we're going to start to unpack that. And this morning we're going to see embracing the practice of a Christ-centered identity. So we need to embrace that. We need to hold on to that. In 1 Corinthians we read, I may give everything away. I have to help others, and I may even give my body as an offering to be burned. But I gain nothing by doing this, all this, if I don't have love. That's, that's disturbing to me, because there definitely are some times in my life I do something because I know it's the right thing to do, and it's really not sourced out from love in my heart produced by God. Sometimes I do things because I want the accolades. I want, oh, wow, isn't Dave a nice guy? He did this. Sure, you never do that. But sometimes I do it for that reason. Or sometimes I start out for the noble reason and it shifts. And and that's kind of our human condition. But I want to make sure that I'm doing things out of love. And so we just need to understand it. We need to take a a reading. And you may say, well, what's what's the big deal? Well, in the book of Revelation, we find that Jesus speaks to the condition of a number of churches. And I'd like to share two conditions just real briefly. And you can see that the love is missing. And Jesus does not like that. He does not like imitation love. He wants love to be the source of our doing, our being, and what we're about. We read in Revelation 3, 15 through 17, I know you inside and out. Yikes. He knows us inside and out. That can be good. That can be bad. And find little to my liking. You're neither cold. You're neither hot. Far better to either be cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made, I need nothing from anyone, oblivious that in fact you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. And sometimes, as Americans, as American Christians, we do think we have arrived. We think we've got it all together. This isn't to make us feel guilty, it's to say sometimes you and I need to take inventory of our lives and ask ourselves, what is going on? Are we lukewarm? Are we not hot or cold? We're just kind of going through the motions, yet we feel we've got things kind of figured out. We're into the church thing. We, some of us may even read our Bible almost daily, and we're going through all these routines, but it's really not an expression of love. It's really not an expression of our connection. It's just kind of the thing we do. It's the rule we do. We're a, more of a cultural Christian than a relational Christian. And for all of us who have said yes to Christ, it is easy to drift into that. And that becomes more of our identity. Earlier on, uh, Jesus says, but you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you anyway? Turn back, recover your dear early love. No time to waste. 
for I'm on my way to removing your light from the golden circle. And the idea here is that if we continue to go through the motions, if there really isn't love there, it's just motion, 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 eventually our significance, eventually our voice gets squelched out. And I have to say that some of the things we find going on in our country is because we as Christ followers have left our first love. And the question is, is what's going to happen? What are the results of that going to be? Because Christ doesn't want us just going through the motions, even looking like nice Christians, Christ followers, when it is not an engaged love. Sometimes we hear of marriages that implode, and from the outside, they're going through all the motions, everything looks great, everything looks wonderful, and we find out all of a sudden there really wasn't any love motivating. It was just they were roommates, they were business partners, called this thing the home, this family. There was not this strong connection, and all of a sudden it implodes. Same thing, in a sense, can happen as Christ followers, that we just go through the motions. There's got to be this love. Read in James, in the same way, faith by action, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So if we say we have love for God and love for others, it ought to produce real actions, but coming out of our faith, coming out of our love for him. So as we think about simply Christian, it's not complex. We sometimes make it too complex said last week, the reason Christ came was to give all of us access to God. So when you and I make it difficult for someone to have access for God, we're actually thwarting why Jesus came. Jesus came so everybody from every walk of life, every culture, every place could have access to God. And so we need to be clear. We don't need to oversimplify, but we certainly don't need to make it complex. We have something that uh, is referred to as the great commandment. Those of us in church world understand this, and this is Jesus. He's going to get a question, and we're going to read that question in just a moment. And this is a little section. It's called the great commandment, and it is about love. This morning, we're going to look at the great commandment, and then next week, we'll look at the great commission and see how those two areas and the two thoughts below them are the way we can be simply Christian in our lives. We read, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Last week we mentioned when God set everything motion in motion with Adam and Eve, there was one rule. There wasn't a million rules. And really, as we look at these four acts of love, two this week, two next week, we're going to see that the rest of basically the Newer Testament is an expression of all these. The rest of the New Testament is an expression of loving God and loving others. 
We read, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. We're called to love him and love him as Christ has loved us. How did Christ love us? He gave himself. So we're to love the Lord your God. And we can begin a relationship with God by saying yes to God, by saying yes to what Christ has done for us. Uh, This involves admitting that we've been out of step with God, uh, that we call that sin, and the need to be connected to God through Christ. It also involves believing that Jesus died for our sins, died so that we could have forgiveness, that he rose again, and accepting his forgiveness for our sins. And it also involves the idea of choosing to invite Christ into your life as the one you're going to follow, a life of loving God and loving others. And uh, when we invite him into our life to to follow him, that doesn't mean that we're going to do that perfectly, but it means we're moving in that path. We're moving in that direction. And we basically spend the rest of our life following him. That's why we talk about being Christ followers. We follow Christ daily and regularly. And if that's something that hasn't happened in your life, you have more questions, uh, you can speak to myself or, or some of the other people that you see around here regularly. Uh, there's also a little pamphlet that's uh, called Knowing God. You can find that online at our website, and all the pages are there, so you can look through that. Um, also, we have uh, one little booklet. It has two different covers on it, How Good is Good Enough by Andy Stanley. You'll find those in the pockets. Uh, at guest services and and around in the commons. You can pick up one of those. It's, I think, 70 pages. It's an easy read, and it explains how we can have a relationship with God and what that looks like. You see, to love God means that we keep his commands, and his commands don't weigh us down. (laughs) That little last phrase, they don't weigh us down. When you and I love God, we're not trying to earn his love. We're trying to please him because he loves us. That means we keep his commands. We keep the way he talks about navigating through life. That's our expression of our love. And then the commands don't weigh us down. They're not burdensome, some translations say. They're not, they're not heavy. We could look at Matthew where Jesus talks about my yoke is easy. The idea that these commands, these ways of living uh, are not to like suck life out of us. They're actually to give us life. They enhance us. So we want to know how Christ operated and how he expressed love to God and love to others. We figure that out. We see that in other people's lives, and we grow in that area, and we find that they don't weigh us out, they weigh us down. They actually bring more life to us. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds within. And the idea attacked here is that it's a process. It's a metaphor. I can't even say the word. Someone say it for me. Meta. No, not metaphor, butterfly. Thank you very much. There we go. All right. Everyone's like, what are we talking about? Who are we? Yes, it's remolding. That's what's happening. A little caterpillar becomes a uh, butterfly and totally rechanging. It's an ongoing process. So we embrace, we allow God to remake us from the inside out. 
And that takes a lifetime. It takes our lifetime. And it's a great process. It's wonderful when you find that your heart has changed in certain areas. I'm so delighted when all of a sudden my heart has changed and I don't want to do something or I want to do something because I'm expressing my love for God and it's not burdensome, but now it's who I am. It's not just a discipline. It's just like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I should do this. It's not like, that's who I am. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's my identity. I love when my inside changes. I love when I've become sensitive to things that didn't really bother me before. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a way of talking to somebody. Maybe it's something I watch, listen to, read, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it bothers me, and and it didn't bother me before. I've changed. Or now, caring for somebody is, is a natural response of who I am. Being generous is a natural response. I don't have to, like, force myself. I've been changed from the inside out. That word uh, could also be translated renovating, that I'm having a renovation in my life. Some of us have done some renovating in our houses. We've changed some things, and some of our houses are always a work in progress. I know ours is. We've still got a few more places to, to work on, and we keep renovating and renovating and changing and changing, and it's enjoyable on one hand, but it's hard work on the other hand. Renovation has the idea of permitting God to change your inside. And you, 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 in a sense, say, God, I'm giving you permission. You, you let yourself be exposed to him. You read, you think about, you pray, you talk with him, and you say, change me, grow me. It also has the idea of letting God give you, in a sense, a new heart. I could say a new operating system. Sometimes those of us in computer world and phone world can't wait for the next operating system to come out. It has a new little thingamajig. It has a little new feature, and you can't wait for that. And then when it becomes a part of your phone, when it becomes a part of your computer, a little bit of time goes by, and all of a sudden, you don't even remember that that's something new. That's just what's changed in your computer, in your phone. It just, it just works that way, and, and it's great. So you, you let him give you. You embrace that. You also allow God to make over your desires. Sometimes I have to say, uh, Lord, it's, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Sometimes I pray that. I pray, I'm not even there yet. I, I see what you want me to do. I don't want to do it. I want to get to the place where that is who I am. So my prayer isn't even about that item, that subject. My prayer is, Lord, help me to want what you want. And then the renovation of our heart the remolding of our heart, the metamorphosis of our heart starts to take place. And that is exciting if you're a Christ follower. And if you continue to invest in that, that never changes. And you're a different person. You're a different person no matter how, uh, what your age is, no matter how long you know the Lord. If you know the Lord 30 years You say, wow, I want to be different at least a year or three years from now. I want that renovating to continue on. So the question we have to ask ourselves when it it comes to this idea, and this is kind of the practical side of it, if we're going to love God, then we have to ask, will we commit to grow in our love for God by expressing it in personal time with him and gathered time in worship? For us, these are two expressions of that. So when we look at, wow, our church is about 
loving God, we're asking you to, to think about two things. We're thinking about you spending time with God on your own outside of the four walls of this room, and you grow, you pray, you read, you spend time with him, you turn off the TV, you get into your special spot, and you spend time with him. And then we're also thinking of gathered time. There's something significant. Now, it's very odd in these days of COVID. That's why we're doing two services so you can spread out. That's why we have online and all these uh, different things. But this idea of gathering with others and celebrating who he is, uh, a big part of growing is being a part of a local church. And you're going to see why in the next part about loving others. So we have to ask ourselves, are, can we answer that? Are we, do we have an intention to answer that? And then you can start to break down the specifics. How, does, how do I express uh, you know, it in personal time with God? What does that look like? Does that even exist? Does it need to be added to my routine? Maybe, maybe 10 minutes. Maybe you need to start. Maybe you need to get something online. Uh, we have something called daily bread. If you have nothing going on in your life and, and you, in that area, and then you get that, and there's a daily reading, uh, sometimes those things, you can get them so you can get an email every day to remind you uh, because you want to spend personal time with God. And then you want to gather together so we can sing together. I, at least I don't know about you, but my voice sounds better in this room than at home in the shower, 10 times better. So you want to gather together and celebrate who God is and what he's done. So we have this idea of loving God, and then we also have this idea of loving others. This is my commandment, love one another the way I loved you. And so we think about how Christ has loved us, and then we want to love one another. We want to give our life away. And that takes a, a renovated heart, at least for me, because I'm naturally wanting to keep my life. I don't want to give away. I don't want to be generous. I want it for me. So it takes a little bit more of engagement, takes a little more investment to grow in this area of loving others. We don't need to write to you about having love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. God has already taught you to love each other. We encourage you now, brothers and sisters, to show your love more and more to be growing in the area of loving each other, to have connection. And when we talk about loving others in this context, we're talking about other Christ followers, having that community where we're together. Uh, when we define community, we define it this way. Christ follower community is the shared bond that a Christ follower have with Jesus and others, which flows out of sharing common attitudes, interests, and directions. We need that kind of relationship. We need to travel with a group of people that want the same thing. They want to follow Christ. We can't do this alone. This is so important that we are part of groups, ministry groups maybe, uh, community groups, whatever. Um, as a church, with all of that's going on, we're trying to do some other things. You're going to notice in your program, we don't have a list of community groups. We're trying to have it a little bit more organic this time around. So we're asking you as a church family to find, if you don't have a community to be a part of, find two or three or four or five, six people 
you know, and, and try to figure out a way to connect and try to figure out how to connect around Christ in that community. It's just not about donuts and coffee. It's about donuts and coffee and Jesus. Or maybe it should be Jesus and then maybe donuts and coffee. But anyway, you get the idea. And uh, you need to have a group. So I would encourage you, I'd encourage you to, to find uh, people to meet with, uh, hopefully weekly, get together, do the social distancing. Maybe it's a, a Zoom call, uh, whatever it is, but make sure you're not isolated because we need to be in these relationships where we're loving one another in a Christ-centered environment, where, where we're sharpening each other, where we're speaking into each other's lives. Uh, you look through the good news, you look through all the teachings of the New Testament, and you find that they traveled in groups. They were, very few were alone. There's this one time where Paul's by himself, and he, and he doesn't like it. But all, they travel together. You are one community away from changing the course of your life. In the positive way, and a negative way. It matters who you and I travel with. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, I traveled with the kids in Pinefield. That was a little development we lived in. And what was really cool, one street over, there was a gravel pit that really wasn't used. And we loved going messing around the gravel pit. And, and one day when Trash Day came along, we found somebody had uh, thrown out a, one of those kiddie pools and had some cracks in it. And so we thought, wow, that kiddie pool would make a great sled in the gravel pit. So we took that thing out, got to one of the highest little gravelly pit things, and it was pretty steep. And all six of us jumped in that thing, and down we went. We thought it was so great. We went back. This is great. We're sledding in summertime, and we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And finally, there was nothing left to our sled. Uh, it was terrible to us. you know. So we said, what are we going to do? We need to find another pool. Well, we noticed when we crossed over a street that behind this house, there was a kiddie pool. No water in it, just kind of sitting up against the shed and we thought that uh, maybe we would just borrow this for a little while. And so we decided, we took it. We took something that didn't belong to us. We were all in this group, and uh, uh, we went out there and did this. And uh, by the time we realized what was going on, we kind of knew what was going to happen. That, that kiddie pool was, like, gone, shredded. So we didn't return it to the person's house, but uh, I did go home. And it was a time where my mom was out of town caring for my grandmother, and uh, my dad noticed uh, that we were pretty dirty because doing this on the gravel pit, you'd get really dirty, and uh, kind of asked what was going on. And uh, Jeff, my brother, caved. Well, he was only nine years old and said what we had done, and my father was pretty upset with us. So he gathered all the boys together and tried to get the parents together, and we had to collect money to, to pay these people to rebuy their pool, and had a guy to go over there and say, I was sorry for stealing their pool, and all these kinds of things. You see, the community you travel with, you kind of go in that direction. You've learned that. Uh, you, you travel that way. And uh, uh, it's funny, I have another friend, Dave Lobley, and uh, Dave Lobley is a straight shooter. Uh, I've been friends with him since we were five years old. I have to say, if Dave Lobley had been with us, we would not have taken that pool. He, he, would have, he would have said, this isn't really right, this, you know, and we wouldn't have it. Again, it matters who we travel with. 
Be friends with those who are wise, and you will be wise. Choose fools, and the context is morally compromised, to be your friends, and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, that story about the pool is just a little story, but all of us have had those situations where that kind of stuff just goes way too far. Who we travel with affects the way we live. Now, it doesn't mean we share friends that aren't Christ followers, but what it means is those who are influencing us, those who are helping us move in the right direction, ought to be Christ followers. The people you listen to are a preview of where your decision is heading and a preview of a future you. Let that sink in. The people you listen to are a preview of where your decision is heading and a preview of a future you. If I had stopped, even as a 12-year-old, and assessed who I was and assessed who my friends are and what we were about to do, it it was not rocket science. I, I knew where this was going. I knew where this was going. Fortunately, I had a father who stepped in and said, this is incorrect behavior, helped us make it right, and I knew at least not to take someone's pool anymore. So, um, again, this future you. So the question for us with this is, will you commit to loving others in a community, a community group or ministry team, in such a way that friends are allowed to speak into your life as you speak into their lives? So we love God, and we love others, and we have this relationship where people can speak into each other's lives. That can happen in a community group. It can happen in a community Bible study. It can happen in a micro-community group, which we're encouraging you organically to grab two, three, four, five people, not too many, and try to figure out how can we sharpen one another. Uh, It can happen in a ministry group. I knew when I was a a youth pastor, uh, us youth leaders spent so much time together that it really was a community group. So the ministry can do that. The idea is you and I shouldn't be isolated. We need other people in our lives who know enough about our lives that they can actually speak into our lives and we can speak into their lives. Uh, it's interesting, there's a story, I'm going to actually skip that. Uh, the bottom line is this, when you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus. Bob Goff says this, and uh, we have a bunch of his resources in our resource center out there in the books, and also right now media has this, but I love what he says, when you love like Jesus, you live like Jesus. So the question is, when we say, man, I must not be living like Jesus, then maybe there's something wrong with my love. I'm not loving like Jesus. But if we love like Jesus, we will find ourselves living like him. That's loving God and loving others. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time together. Uh, We thank you that uh, we have others that we can travel this life with. It's not a ton of people, but the few, selected few that can help speak into our lives and we can speak into their lives. Uh, Father, we love that uh, you loved us first by sending your son, and now we in turn, if we've said yes to you, become a people of love. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to continue to renovate our hearts, help us to think it through, help us to realize that we're becoming something, and if we're not engaged, we can drift all over the place. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and again, your love for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.